Welcome to the 2011 Shepherds Conference, Delivery in the Powerful Pulpit, preaching sermons that assault the heart and obligate the will. Alex Montoya. It's a delight to have uh, all of you here for this week of uh, inspiration that God has given us. And it's always a delight to be part of your lives and share the Word of God and encourage us in the whole matter of ministry and preaching. There is a text in 2 Timothy, if you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, that'll be kind of the basis for our exposition this morning or our emphasis this morning. Preparation for that open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I heard a story the other day about a fellow that was very ill. His, uh, he and his wife, were, uh, he was very ill. And uh, he, uh, he woke up and he, he said, Ethel is, uh, Ethel, is that you? And she, she goes, yes, honey, it's, uh, it's me. It's me. Oh, Ethel, you, uh, you've been with me all the time. I recall we uh, first got married. We had a terrible car accident. You were there with me. I recall when I, I lost my job. Ethel, you're right there with me. Ethel, I recall when our house burned down. Ethel, you're right there with me. And I recall when I had open heart surgery. And Ethel, you were right there with me. Ethel, you're bad luck. <laughs> you know, when we, uh, when we do ministry, especially a teaching ministry and preaching ministry, we have a great temptation and a tendency to blame our, uh, our failure or our inefficiency or our weakness in preaching and teaching, have a strong tendency to blame the audience and not look at ourselves. We think that the reason for our inefficiency in teaching and preaching, you know, is the people themselves and not necessarily what we are or how we deliver. And we need to stop and look at that carefully because there is a great weakness in the whole area of preaching and teaching. And the weakness, weakness is many times found in the pulpit, not in the pew. Now we emphasize uh, a lot in, in our Shepherds Conference about co on content and what, um, what we say and what we deliver, making sure that we are preaching the text and preaching the Word. And that is so, so important that the source of our message is the Word of God, and that uh, what we give them is going to be something that God has given us from His Word, and we're preaching, we're preaching His Word. And we never all want to minimize that. But the whole preaching experience and the teaching experience is more, more than just what we say. It is also how we say it. It is how we say it. And it is so key for you and I to keep that in mind. That it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. And this brings, uh, this makes the preaching experience and the teaching experience, you know, very, very, a very delicate and a very difficult thing to do. Because we're not just concerned about preaching the text and exposing the text and preaching truth, but also we're concerned about how we deliver the goods, how we preach the message. And so our emphasis today will be on the how, not necessarily on the what. It's on the how and how you and I are to deliver the message that God has given to us. 
We have been, um, been criticized, the evangelical pulpit has been criticized because we have not always been as passionate and as active and alive in preaching as we should preach. I recall reading the words of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite preachers. And he said this, he says, This element of pathos and of emotion is to me a very vital one. It is what has been so seriously lacking in the present century, and perhaps especially among Reformed people. We tend to lose our balance and to become over-intellectual, indeed almost to despise the element of feeling and emotion. We are such learned men, we have such great grasp of the truth, that we tend to despise feeling. He says, the common herd we feel are emotional and sentimental, but they have no understanding. And so he's, he's, he's criticizing a dead pulpit. He's criticizing a dead delivery. We have no passion, no emotion. We're not involved in the how of what we say, and, not so, and, and, and only in the what. There's another comment by Jeffrey Thomas in his book entitled Powerful Preaching. One of the great perils that face preachers of the Reformed faith is the problem of hyperintellectualism, that is, the constant danger of lapsing into a purely cerebral form of proclamation, which falls exclusively upon the intellect. Men become obsessed with doctrine and end up being brain-oriented preachers, and the problem, he says, is universal. And so we, we want to focus today on learning to preach with effective delivery, putting, putting your heart and your soul, and I, I use the expression preaching with passion. And passion is the power, the drive, the energy, the life in the delivery of the sermon. Without passion, the sermon becomes a lecture, an address, and a moral speech. And we're not called to give lectures or addresses to our congregations or even moral speeches. We are called to deliver sermons to preach the eternal truths of God and connect them to the hearts of men and women. Mr. Spurgeon said in his book, Lectures to My Students, he says, We must regard the people as the wood and the sacrifice, well wedded a second and third time by the care of the weak upon which the prophet, like the prophet, we must pray down fire from heaven. He says, A dull minister creates a dull audience. So if your audience is dull, whose fault is it? Talk to me now. No. If your audience is sleeping in your pews, whose fault is it? Now talk to me now. Talk to me now. See? And so he says, a dull, a dull minister creates a dull audience. Mr. Lloyd-Jones says, I would say that a dull preacher is a contradiction of terms. If he is dull, he is not a preacher. He may stand on a pulpit and talk, but he is certainly no, not a preacher. With the grand theme and message of the Bible, dullness is impossible. This is the most interesting, the most thrilling, the most absorbing subject in the universe. And the idea that this can be presented in a dull manner makes some seriously doubt whether the men who are guilty of this dullness have ever really understood the doctrine they claim to believe and which they advocate. We often betray ourselves by our manner. And so we need to think about this. The sermon is no essay to be read for optional opinion for the people to consider, to casually to consider. It is a confrontation with Almighty God. It is to be delivered with a burning passion 
in the authority of the Holy Spirit. And when you and I stand to preach, and also when we stand to teach, you may not all be preachers, but you may be a teacher in a Sunday school class or a discipleship group. And this applies to you as well, that as we stand to preach, we must preach the Word of God and preach the message with all the passion and fire and, and zeal that we can possibly have within our souls. And we need to look at ourselves today. And I want you to look at this thing, thing, thing today and that we would learn to teach and preach with great zeal. And we may, we may confront the hearts of people with the Word of God. Now, you may say to me, you know, Alex Montoya, your problem is that you're Hispanic, and that's why you are the way you are. <laughs> and, and, uh, I can assure you that that is not the case at all. Now, we do have a little bit of that. A little bit of Chile Verde in our veins, but it's, it's not entirely so. The fact is that, you know, we, we need to become more passionate. And you might be asking, so how is it possible? How can I be more passionate, more enthusiastic in my delivery, in my sermon? The answer is simply by living more passionately. That's the key, to live a passionate life. Because a sermon is... The Word of God delivered through a human being. That's what it is. It's God's Word through human personality. And if you are a dull person, if you're a dull individual, if you're a walking zombie, there's no way, no way the Word of God's going to come out in any passionate way. And so the whole idea is for us to become then passionate people. Passionate people. And so I'd like to spend <clears throat> the rest of the morning with you talking about how I can become a passionate preacher. How can I become a passionate preacher? And there are eight, uh, eight elements that I would like to address this morning with the time that we have. I trust we'll finish all eight. Now, in case we did not, don't finish it, I have written a book entitled Preaching with Passion that contains this information that we have this morning. It's available in our bookstore. You may get it and uh, use it. I trust it will help you. But there are eight elements, eight elements that we must consider if we're going to be preaching with great passion. First of these, first of these is to preach with spiritual power. We are preaching a message that originates with God. It does not originate with us. We are, we are looking at God's Word and God's Word. Paul told Timothy, told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 6, and for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of discipline. And so we, we, look, at, we look at the fact that our passion comes from God. It comes from God. And as you and I deliver God's word, we recognize that we need to be like Isaiah looking to God and getting a fresh vision of God and letting his, his fire fill our lives. So when you and I get up to preach God's Word or teach God's Word, we're preaching it with spiritual power. Now, what does this entail? Well, first of all, it, it, it involves that we have a deep, deep humility, a deep humility before God. Martin Luther prayed, the great reformer prayed. He says, O Lord God, dear Father in heaven, I am indeed unworthy of the office and ministry in which I am to make thy glory and to nurture 
and to serve this great congregation. He approached his ministry with great, great humility. And those of us that are in ministry, that have the opportunity to preach and teach, we need to approach every single opportunity with great, great humility before God. Otherwise, we cannot expect God to bless our utterance or bless our words or bless our message. It also involves, secondly, confession of sin. God does not favor an unclean preacher. He does not favor an unclean preacher. We ought to preach with clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. And if you're not careful, you can be tempted to go into your ministrations, go, go into your cycle of preaching, and allow the, uh, the barnacles of sin to begin to infect your life and attach themselves to your lives. And these barnacles of sin begin to captivate your heart and your life, and you just simply ignore them. They are peccadillos. They're not great mortal sins or great sins. They're small sins, sins of bitterness and anger, sins of discontent subtle lust and uh, desires that have gone astray. No one knows about them except you and God. Perhaps interactions with your wife and children and things aren't right at home, but we get used to it and we get used to preaching and preaching and preaching and wonder why nothing happens and I lost my zeal to God. We need to take our lives and make sure that we have, we have done a thorough confession of our sins before God to cleanse our souls, that every time you preach is with clean hands and a pure heart. May I remind us also, it involves a, a deep communion with God, a constant living with a living God. Then we don't, we don't bypass the things we tell our people to do, for them to be in the Word of God, for them to pray, for them to worship, for them to develop a robust Christian, a robust spiritual life. And that can happen to us. Gentlemen, it may happen to you. You study the Bible. You read the Bible only for sermons. You read Scripture only because you're preaching sermons to other people. But you never read them just for yourself. This hunger and thirsting for God isn't for you anymore. It used to be. It used to be in the old days where you love to go to the Word and spend time with God. And now you're simply racing. You're, you're caught in the tyranny of the sermon. And reading just for the next sermon, and the next sermon, and the next sermon. And you're like, a, you're like those cows that Joseph spoke about to Pharaoh. Those lean cows with the bones showing, and you're basically coming to the pulpit with nothing to give. No, friend, you need to, you need to cultivate a, a communion with God. It is, uh, it is our friend, uh, Robert Machane, that said, in great measure... According to the purity and perfections of the instruments will be the success. It is not great talent which God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. Let's take that to heart. A holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. You know, as you peruse around this campus and as you hear lectures, etc., understand that there are saints around here, and I admire our brothers who have great intellect and great skills and great abilities. And you may say to yourself, I could never be like that. Well, friend, let me say to you, you don't, you don't have to be like that. But you do have to be a holy man. That is indispensable. And if you place yourself in God's hands as a holy man, 
in communion with God, God is going to bless your ministry. Let me add to that, if we're going to have spiritual power, let me add a fourth element, and that is the commission of the Spirit, to know that we are sent from God. Paul told Timothy, and Timothy was like many, many of us, he was a timid preacher. He was a timid preacher. He needed to have his soul revived. He said, Timothy, stir up again the fire in your soul. You've, you, you, you've done something with it. You've, you've, let it. you've let it cool down. You've let it become extinguished by certain circumstances. Listen, Timothy, we laid hands on you. You were called to the ministry. You put your hands to the plow, and you're, you should not be looking back. You need to recognize that, that God has called you. And those of us that are here, that are pastors and, 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 and Christian ministers, need to understand that this calling that we have is from God. You are a man sent from God. That's why Paul, when he writes to Timothy, says, Timothy, O man of God. And that's who you are, a man sent from God. And deep down in your soul, you need to see that. You need to see that. See a man that's sent from God, and we have no options. I stand before you as a minister of the Word of God, as a pastor of a church, with no options. If I was not a pastor, if I was not preaching, there are no options. There's nothing for me to do. The only option I have is to sell drugs in the street. That's the only option I have. <laughs> Aside from that, there is no place. I am a man sent from God. When I was ordained in 1972, I had the unfortunate, made the unfortunate mistake of having one, my professor of Greek be one, be one of my examiners. How could I ever think of doing something like that? But he said, Alex, he said, Alex, if we deny your ordination, what will you do? If we deny ordaining you to the gospel ministry, what will you do? I said, Dr. Thomas, I will still preach. I will still preach. Not as a pastor, not as an ordained minister, but cut me loose on the street and I'll go preaching any place, anywhere. Like I mentioned on, on Wednesday, if it looks human, I will try to convert it. <laughs> you are a man sent, and you need to know, some of you young men here that are thinking of ministry, that's why you need to, you need to recognize this call from within and from without. When the church stamps upon you the approval of the ordination, when they lay hands on you, you have the mandate from God. You then are to go out and preach in obedience to God. And so this is where it's important that we understand. And then, and then in, this, in this heading also, with spiritual power, that you be a man controlled by God. A man controlled by God. There's a big debate on unction and and something happening when you get in the pulpit and you get zapped from God and all of a sudden you preach with great power and great unction. Well, friend, I am. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. And all I know is that the unction, the power, doesn't begin in the pulpit. It begins in your closet. It begins in your closet. It begins in your daily living. It begins when you're on your hands and knees playing with your children. When you're at the dinner table talking to your wife, when you are living for God and having God control your life, and then you come into the study and you say, Lord, what would you have me preach? 
and God opens his word to you and he gives you the message, you then are already have the power of God. You have the, as I say, the unction of God controlled by the Spirit. And your sermon that you preach is preaching the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not see the results today or tomorrow or next week. And we don't always look for the results every single day. All we know is that this is a message God has given us, and God is going to bless His Word. And so for that reason, when you preach, recognize you preach with great spiritual power if these things take place in your life. Now, there's a second element that comes if we're to have great, great power and passion as we preach. And that is, secondly, to preach with conviction. Preach with conviction. You know, gentlemen, men hold opinions, but convictions hold the man. Convictions hold the man. You can be here talking about a bunch of stuff and have a lot of opinions and views and things, but those are negotiable, and you'll trade them off. You'll have some opinions at this conference, and then Next month, you'll be at John Piper's conference, and then you'll have other convictions, other opinions there. And then you'll go to some other conference, perhaps Benny Hinn, and have some other (laughs) thoughts there. I don't know where you're going to be going. But those are opinions, and you'll trade them off. Oh, no. You want to develop convictions. Those are the spiritual instincts which drive us to action regardless of the circumstances. Paul tried to instill passion in Timothy by reminding him to preach the Word. And when you and I are convinced of the Scriptures, you know, we, we, won't, have, we won't ever lack any passion. It's this, this Scripture, this book gets a hold of you, and it's God's inspired Word. That's why, gentlemen, you, you can't doubt what the Word of God says here. You don't. You, you have to take every single Word in here is divinely given to us by God. How can I I preach with convictions, you're saying? Well, first of all, let me just remind us to preach preach on the major Bible themes that are in the text. Learn to preach the great themes of Scripture. The great, and the Bible is, is, it's there. It's just the great, great themes as you expound the Scriptures, as you study, look for the main text, the main thesis of the passage. Always preach what I say. I call the filet mignon of the passage. That's what you need. Look for the filet mignon. What is the main thing here? Preach that. Oftentimes, friends, we're not preaching major themes. We're preaching minor issues. There are juggler texts. If you're going to kill a man... You don't start with his fingernails. That's not the way you kill him. <laughs> if you're going to kill a man, you go for the juggler vein, do you not? With one swoop, and you're done with him. <laughs> and so it is when you're going to slay an audience. You slay him with the main text of Scripture. The Bible is a, it's a Biblia. It's a 66 books that has a solution for every, every ailment in the human race the human heart. And it's there. It's for you to take that text and to preach that text. That's what it means for us to preach with great, great conviction. Preach orthodoxy. Preach orthodoxy. Preach the main doctrines. Don't fight over stuff that you can't seem to resolve. 
You know, if Dr. MacArthur and, and Steve Lawson can't agree on certain things, well, friend, don't, don't preach on those issues. If they can't agree on these things and they have their PhDs and THDs and McDLTs, and then there's you. <laughs> You're not even in their camp. You don't even have a blog. They, have write, they write books. You write on walls. <laughs> no, my friend, my friend. Preach the text. Find the text. Take the passage of Scripture. You know, that's why the apostle reminded Timothy, reminded Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman that does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Your main task is to look at the Scripture, the text, and develop an exegetical understanding of this text. What does the text mean? Let the filet, let the, let the truth develop itself and come out and grab you. It's important for us to do that. That's why some of, I would strongly recommend some of you here that are thinking of ministry and going in the direction of ministry and you're thinking, should I or should I not go to seminary? By all means, you need to go to seminary. By all means. You need to be the sharpest, the sharpest knife in the drawer. You need to be that. And that will help you in, in the long run. Now, it's, there are some exceptions. But for the, for the most, if, if you're thinking of an effective ministry of somehow saying, Alex, I would like someday for God to use me in pastoral ministry as a preacher, as an expositor, then, friend, go to seminary. Get yourself as prepared as possible. You can never be over-prepared. Never. There's always a sense, I, I, I need to be the best to understand. I want to understand the text, understand the passage. And then secondly, what does the passage say to me? If it doesn't speak to you, friend, how in the world can it speak to anybody else? That's why you are the first to partake. You're the great cook. You're the great chef. And as you're cooking, you're, you're slurping, and you're eating, and you're tasting. In the Hispanic community, you have a stack of tortillas, and you're always making little taquitos along the way. You know? <laughs> so by the, time, by the time you eat, you've already eaten. <laughs> by the time it's time to serve the meal, you've already been as big as this pulpit. You know what I'm saying? That's it. And so you, you preach something that really ministers to you. And, and then you develop... A, how then can I preach this passage to my people? And then you're preaching a, a, a truth that is truly a deep conviction of yours. You should try to preach a sermon. You should try to teach a lesson that will keep you awake on Saturday night. That kind of sermon. Well, you, you can't hardly wait for Sunday to come. You can hardly wait for the sun to shine. You're tossing in bed and you're thinking of the text. Oh, oh, I can hardly wait to get there. Oh, yes. And, and you, you, can, you can hardly sleep. And the, you beat the alarm clock. You set it for 6 o'clock and you're up there at 5.55. Turn that baby off. I'm ready to go. See, that's the kind. If you've got to be dragged to church every Sunday, you're a sorry preacher. 
Maybe you have no idea what's next. So what are you preaching on next week? Well, Hosea. <laughs> watch out, chapter 10. What about it? I have no idea. Well, what kind of a sermon is that? <laughs> oh, friend, oh, friend. This is important that you, that you preach with great conviction. Then obviously, every time you preach, it'll be a sermon that, that oozes out of your heart. And so we've seen first, spiritual power. Secondly, great conviction. And third, preach with compassion. Compassion. Preaching is not merely an exercise in speech or oratory. It's a soul pleading with to another soul, be reconciled to God. It is the burden for others which creates passion. You know, Mr. Lloyd-Jones, uh, I love what he says. It just rings in my ears constantly. He says, to love to preach is one thing, to love those to whom we preach quite another. Some of us like the pulpit. We like what comes with it. We like the lights. We like the applause. We like the eyes. The only problem is we just don't like the people. We may say something like, you know, ministry is great. It's just the people. But ministry is people. Ministry is people. And so if we, if we love to preach and don't love people, then that is not going to create passion. You know, you need to love your people. You need to love your people and have a great, great affection for them, a great love for them to the point where they, they your love for them oozes out in great, great compassion. Listen, gentlemen, let me give you a secret. Let me give you a secret. If you truly, truly love your people, you cannot preach a bad sermon. You cannot preach a bad sermon. Because they know that you love them. They know you love them. In my history, I've preached some major eggs in my series. Major eggs. Oh, I tell you. Huge, huge one, Ostrich ones, you know. And, and people will say, uh, good morning, pastor, and um, glad you came today. You know, that was about it, you know. That's about it, you know. I know it's bad. So, honey, how was the sermon? Well, um, you've done better. You know, she's, real, she's really nice. You've done better. You know, because it happens. But if you love your people, they will put up. He says, he'll be better next week. Oh, you should, you should hear the one he preached two years ago. That was really good. <laughs> Listen, the reason you're getting fired from your churches, the reason why they're letting you go is because they know deep down in your, in your soul that you don't really love them. You need to love them. You need to marry your people. You need to love, love your people. Listen, the goal of preaching, the whole goal of preaching is to help people. It's to help people. When my response to people, when they say, well, there was a, there was a great sermon or there was a great mass. I mean, the Catholic community, there was a great mass, uh, 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 Father, and they'll do something like that. I'll just say, did I help you? Did I help you? Because if the answer is yes, then that's, that's my purpose. If the answer is no, then I've, I've, I've failed. I've failed. We're there to help people. For preaching to be passionate, it must proceed from a heart of compassion. 
that desires to produce Christ-likeness in the lives of our hearers. We want to produce Christ-likeness. What Paul said in Colossians, to make every man complete in Christ. That's my purpose, that every single individual in our church, it's there. And the whole purpose of the text, the whole purpose of preaching is to help people. Let me suggest, gentlemen, some things that when we preach to help people, Number one, preach to convert the sinner. Always preach to convert the sinner. Preach to see somebody saved out there. Pray the prayer of God, give me souls or I die. Give me souls or I die. Gentlemen, some of us have not had a, a baptism, a conversion, an addition to anything for a long, long time, and you're still happy. You're still happy. You get done with your 12 o'clock sermon, and then you get in your car, go to the local restaurant, you know, and there you're laughing and happy about the matter. How can you be happy when souls haven't come to Christ? I weep. If the baptismal waters are not stirred, something's wrong. If people don't come to Christ, I need to see someone come to Christ because I preach to convert, and if they don't get saved... Oh, it bothers me because I know that they have not, they're not going to heaven. Preach to convert. Preach to, con to correct the ignorance. Correct the ignorant. Always we're teaching. We're teaching people about the things of God. Thirdly, preach to reprove the wayward. Some of our people in our churches are wayward. They're going the wrong way. They need a Nathan-type preacher to preach, said like he preached to David. We need a John the Baptist-type preacher that preached to Herod concerning his, his adulteries and fornications. Our people need to be corrected. <laughs> Don't be like that deacon that came and said to the pastor, you know, pastor, uh, you're, you're rubbing the cat the wrong way. And he said, well, then turn the cat around. That's what you need to do. <laughs> Listen, you don't, you, don't, you don't preach to be popular. You don't. You preach. There are sometimes I preach that nobody talks to me. You ever do that? You, you get done with a sermon, and I get done with a sermon, and I, my practice is not, not to sneak out during the prayer and go someplace else and, and take the elevator to the next. I sit, I go to the front to shake hands with people. Sometimes nobody comes up. I'm looking around. Because it was one of these wayward, reprove the wayward sermons. Does it bother me? I, I'm like you, it bothers me. But listen, I didn't, I didn't write the book. I didn't write the book. Who wrote the book? God wrote the book. And he says, Alex, you, pre you preach this. Yeah, but Lord, uh, you know. <laughs> he goes, yeah, and you know. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You, you preach to heal the broken. Listen, your people don't always need scolding. They sometimes need stroking. Some, some of us only have one sermon. Hell, that's all we have. You know, there's another place called heaven. You ever think about that one? <laughs> we, need to, we need to also not only heal the broken, but also teach the simple. Teach the simple. You know, the goal to preaching is not to appear deep, but the goal of preaching is to be understood. 
the primary requisite for preaching is clarity. It's clarity. To be clear is your primary requisite. If you are clear, you are a great preacher. If you're not clear, friend, then what good does it do? That's why I, I love what Dr. J. Vernon McGee said. He says, you always want to take the cookies and put them down on the lower shelf. Or even the most, the simplest of believers can grab it and partake of it. That's what it's about. Problem with us is that we, we want to wow the people. We want to, pre, to be deep. Now the perfect passive participle here. Now, the implication of the Yoda subscript. Ah, whoa. And the Hebrew translation. And the Septuagint. Wow. Ah, ah. And then, so let's, we are done. We'll continue it in the second word in this text next week. And what's the second word? It's post-positive day. Wow! Oh, oh! Friend, friend, you're not a politician, you're a preacher. Politicians talk like that. Listen, be simple. Be simple. Be, be clear. Be clear. Take the most profound truths and then Make them clear. That's your job. That's why God called you to preach, to take these profound truths where they read and they say, what does this mean? And they come to church and you tell them what it means. That's what it's about. And so teach the simple. Inspire the weary. Our people are tired. They are weary. You know, people live one day at a time. The average person in your congregation lives one day at a time. We have a song in Spanish, and it's a translation of the English one, one day at a time, un día a la vez. It's how people live their days. You and I sometimes don't live that way, but they do, and they, they need inspiration for one more week, one more day. Help me, Pastor. One more week. One more day. They need that. Some have terminal cancer. Are married to unsafe spouses. Some are unemployed. They've been looking for two years for a job. Few prospects. Some have children that are wayward. They've been praying for years for them to come back. They need to be inspired. Give them something that's going to give them some measure of hope. That's my friend's compassion. Preach with great compassion. You see, well, how do you, how do you, how do you get compassion in the first place? You know, Dr. MacArthur, he said this that I think is so profound. He says, have your people in your heart and you be in theirs. That's so good. To try to get the people that are out there, you're ministering to them, get them in your heart. You'll always preach a great sermon, my dear friends, if first of all you preach to yourself. 
Study your heart. We are all men of like passion, is what James says. We're all the same. All the same. You preach to yourself and you, you, you'll get there. Secondly, don't be afraid to live among your people. Do what Jesus says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among them. You do the same thing. Don't be afraid to just go down and be among your people. The temptation for some of us is not to be around our people because you want to be above them. You're not like them. You want to kind of escape where they're at. Some of you don't, need, don't even answer your telephones. Don't even answer your email. You know, you don't want to be bothered. Well, Monday's my day off. I never answer the phone. <laughs> you only have 10 people in your church. <laughs> Come on. You should be open 24-7 with that attitude, friend. You need all the customers you can possibly get. Now, live among the people. Become incarnate. Own, own. Friend, East L.A. is my city. I own. East L.A. is mine. Now, you may come here from another part of the world and say, Oh, L.A., ho, oh, oh, ho, I hate this city. Shut up. This is my city. <laughs> I love, this is my people. I love. See, you have to, because I live there. I live there. You know, when I, I'll come here and I, I, I walk, you know, kind of, but when I'm in where I come from, I walk like this. See, that's because that's the way they walk where I come from. You see, this is it. Be, be an observer of people. Be an observer of people. Get, let, a lot, let people under, get into you. Get to the point where you are listening to the heart cry of the people you're trying to minister to. And then when you preach, you'll preach with a moist eye. You'll always, you'll always be like just a second away from crying. Always just a second away from crying because of your great, great love for people. Friend, love your people. If you love them, they will always honor the word when it is preached. Number four, preach with authority. Passionate preaching is when you preach with authority. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, the difference between he and the scribes is he taught them as one having authority. We preach with the expression, thus saith the Lord. Some of you folks from the South, sayeth, it's the way you say it. Thus saith the Lord. Any way you want to say it, but say it. Thus says the Lord. Notice we're preaching what God says. Authority. Authority. We preach with authority. And that means, that means it could be, we take what Peter says to us in chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. Take that to heart. We're not to lord it over them. We are not to be, you know, pontificating over them. That is not our job. But our job is to preach with authority. We're a man sent from God with a message from God. And therefore, we come and preach with authority. That means to, you, you speak as a believer. The apostles were told not to preach. Acts chapter 4, they, they were told not to preach this message. And they said, you know what? We cannot help but preach of the things we have seen and heard. We believe these things. 
I preach because I'm a believer. That's why. And that's where the authority comes in. You preach as an ambassador. Lloyd-Jones again says, the preacher should never be apologetic. He should never give the impression that he's speaking by their leave, as it were. He should not be tentatively putting forth certain suggestions and ideas. This is not to be his attitude at all. He is a man who is there to declare certain things. He is a man under commission and under authority. He's an ambassador, and he should be aware of his authority. And friend, when you step in the pulpit, when you step to teach and you're handling God's Word, you're there as an ambassador, as an ambassador. And so you exercise, exercise that authority that God has given to you. Listen, we have too many of these wimpy-type preachers out there. No backbone, no nothing. Well, it's my opinion, and it's my, suge- it's my suggestion, and it could be that. We don't need that. We need, thus saith the Lord. You need to preach as a, as a scholar. If anything, if anything, you should be an authority on this book. There should be nobody in your congregation that should equal this. I was watching, uh, I was watching uh, Jeopardy the other day, uh, Pastor Scott. And, you know, it comes on, you know, at 7 o'clock, and I like to watch it, and just to see how dumb I am. You know what I'm saying? That's what I really do. It. But there was a, the Bible. Remember the Bible? Oh, yeah, the Bible. <laughs> you know, and I beat all three of them. <laughs> I beat all three of them. Sorry, preacher of these three neophytes had beat me. I don't know a thing about anything else they were arguing about. Rivers and paintings and music and movie stars. I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I don't have time for that. I only have one thing to worry about, and that is, what does God have to say? Amen or not? Preach. You know, be, know the Word. Know the Scripture. Some of you know all the, all the stats of all the players. You just can't find Hosea. Speak as a saint. Practice what you preach. Speak as a skilled artist. Friend, you need to study to be the best preacher possible. Are you a preacher this morning? Make it your ambition to be the best preacher possible. We owe it to God and to our people to be skillful in our preaching. We need to be the best, the best, and that should be your goal. Now listen, preachers, let me, let me just remind us of something. You finish seminary, you finish seminary with one or two classes of preaching, and all of a sudden we think we've arrived. And that's, that is your demise. That is your demise. Because you've stopped improving. We haven't, we haven't here in the seminary. We offer four classes, of, four semesters of preaching. And we'll sit down with all the lab instructors and we'll take all 65 students and we'll say, which of these 65 would, would, would use some improvement in your preaching? And we'll come up with eight or nine as a recommendation. And then we'll tell these eight or nine, listen, we recommend that you take an extra semester of preaching. And invariably, there's the one that says, what? You're asking me to take this extra class of preaching? Me, the heir of Grace Community Church? (laughs) And they don't know that, but we're unanimous. 
unanimous from all the lab instruction, this guy is going to kill his people. <laughs> See, and you're like that too. What? You're going to criticize my sermon? Pastor, be real. Be real. Your own wife doesn't even sit in the church listening to you. <laughs> be real. No, no one's buying your tapes. You sell 50 because you buy 50 by yourself. That's why you sell 50. <laughs> well, let's go on. Number five. Remember, I was going to park. Let's go on. Pre preach with urgency. If you're going to preach with passion, preach with urgency. Listen, passion is sanctified madness. That's what it is. Preaching with passion is preaching with a deep sense of urgency. And urgent preaching is always going to be passionate. I have a little quotation here from Mr. David Ebby. Uh, preaching today is so often passive, apathetic, impotent, soft, spineless, and lame. Oh, wow. He said it lacks fervor, heat, and heart. It is passionate-less. Preachers must become gospel maniacs. I like that. Preaching, preachers must be captivated and recaptivated by the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. No intoxication for the gospel, no mania for the good news means no fire. And no fire means no power preaching. Listen, there's a sense of urgency. And now let me remind us of two things to keep in mind. That there is going to be a judgment coming. Is there not? There is. And, and sin and hell. Sin and hell. There, there's, this, is, this should captivate us. Yeah, I was preaching on hell two weeks ago. And um, out of Luke 16, I preached these sermons on Luke 16 and preaching the exegetical truth there. And then I ended by just preaching on hell, borrowed from Pastor Scott here, preached on hell. And I, um, I said something like this. I said, you know, Jesus doesn't send anyone to hell. If you end up going to hell, it's because you want to go to hell. But not that Jesus sent you there. He didn't send anyone to hell. If you go to hell, you choose to go to hell. And I illustrated by saying it's like a, a mother who told her son. Her son wanted to go out into the streets at night and be a gangbanger and get involved with the gangs. And she said, no, son, you're not going to go out. You're not going to go out. He says, mother, I'm, move aside. I'm going out. And she says, I'm not going out. I'm stood by the door. I'm not going to go out. If you do, you're going to go over my body. And with that, he knocked her down and stepped over her and went out into the street. I said, much the same way Jesus Christ is at, the, is at the door of hell. He's at the door of hell bleeding. He's bled for you. And he says, you're not going to go to hell unless you step over me. You're going to step over me if you're going to hell. And you, sinner, if you're going to hell, must step over the blood of Christ and the body that he bled for you. And then you go to hell. And as I was saying that, there was a young man in the audience that was laughing. And he grabbed my soul and said, young man, don't you dare be laughing at this time. Because your soul is on the verge of going to hell. And I'm talking to you now. You better shape up or you are going to end up in hell. I hadn't done that for a long, long time. <laughs> but it's because I believe in hell. And it's important that he listens to that. You see, there's an urgency, friend. 
You need to preach with a sense of urgency. You need to preach towards a verdict. Every sermon is a verdict. It's you, you're preaching toward a decision. You're preaching to persuade people. It's important for you to do that. We, we don't just, you know, talk. We don't just preach. Every sermon has a sense of persuasion. If you're preaching on, you're preaching on giving, on stewardship out of chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, you expect people to change their ways in regards to giving, do you not? Yes, you do. You persuade. It's a verdict that we're after. And so keep, let's keep that in mind. A sense of great urgency, of great urgency. Listen, we need to keep in mind the words of our friend Richard Baxter when he said, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. See, you may embark on a 16-part series. You may not live for 16 weeks. True or not? This may be your what? Last sermon. And so preach it in such a way with a deep, deep sense of urgency. Let's hasten on to, to number, number six. Preach with brokenness. Preach with brokenness. God does, does not mightily use a preacher until he has made him human, until he becomes like his master, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Somebody said, when our hearts are broken, we learn to preach to others who have broken hearts. Mr. McLaren, one of the great, great preachers, along with Mr. Spurgeon, he said, it takes a crucified man to preach a crucified Savior. Understand that. And the Word of God is filled with crucified preachers. Moses, a broken man after 80 years in the desert, came as a broken man, and God chose him. Elijah the Tishbite, a reluctant, broken preacher. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wept. John the Baptist, a man forged in the wilderness, living on locusts and wild honey. And he preached. The Apostle Paul, a man who testified of all the things that God allowed him to go through as a preacher. And so it is with you and so it is with me. Gentlemen, this is why we go through trials. Some of us here are going through horrendous trials. My heart bleeds with you and bleeds for you. And I know we're here and we're like, can hardly breathe. We can hardly breathe, it's so painful. Can hardly breathe because we're going through such deep, deep trials and difficulties. But understand, friend, that in the whole spectrum of God's spiritual workshop, He's forging a preacher. He's putting the metal there, and He's striking it. Places in the heat and strikes it, and forges this strong, unbreakable man of God. That's what He's doing. But He needs to break us first. Break us so he can mold us and put us where he needs to be. A broken preacher, a broken man 
when he comes and he preaches the message, then it comes with great, great passion because it comes from a man who's, who's broken. You preach, you preach Genesis 3, not Genesis 2. You preach the fact that we live in the third chapter of Genesis, in a real world full of hurts and disappointments and failures and fears and stains and blemishes. That's the real world. We preach with a heart that can say, I've been in your shoes. I know what it feels like. Brokenness teaches faith. God told the people of Israel, I let you be hungry, that you might learn to trust in me, to recognize that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so he'll, he'll put you on the very edge. He'll have you hanging by your fingernails with one hand, crying out to God, and God comes through. He comes through. There was a terrible earthquake this morning, or yesterday, this morning in, in Japan. And there was a, testif- a father testifying this morning on the radio in an inter- interview. And he said, uh, I had never been through an earthquake like this in 25 years. It shook the very foundation of us. And the person said, so how were your children? He says, when they woke up, they seemed to be okay until they looked at us. And my wife had lost it. We were scared, and they became frightened too. And preacher, if you don't have any faith, how can your people have any faith? If you can't trust God for the daily sustenance of life, how can you expect your people to do that? And to teach us faith, he'll put us right there. That we'll learn to trust in God. So we can say to the people, been there, done that. And God comes through. Does he come through? He comes through. He'll teach us humility. Humility. You can always identify, as you walk around this campus, you can always tell who the master's seminary students are and who the pastors are. You can always tell who they are. Because the students always walk straight. You pastors walk like this. You've been, you've been humbled by God, haven't you? True or not? You were humbled by God. You learned great, great humility. We learn righteous indignation when you're broken. You learn it. When you've been around people that are alcoholics, and you've been around people that have been ruined by divorce and all that, it strikes something in you. It strikes something in you. You're looking in the pulpit right now of a, of a pit bull. That's who I am. I may look like a little chihuahua every now and then, but it metamorphosis into, into a pit bull. Because you've been through the trials and difficulties of life, and you see what it does. Oh, hey, Alex, you know, it's okay for Christians to drink. Uh, you know, God doesn't say that we shouldn't drink. I mean, after all, even Jesus drank. And after all, Paul told Timothy to use a little Christian brother's brandy for his recent illnesses that he had. And you know what that does? It, it turns a chihuahua into a pit bull. Because I see that the main drug problem in America is not heroin. And the main problem in America is not cocaine. The main problem in America is alcohol. It is drinking. True or not? 
And we're driving our kids and our people into hell. How in the world can you sit there and even talk about, you know, social drinking when we have souls going to hell and kids being killed every single day? Oh, don't talk to me, lad. I'll turn my ship around and I'll jump on you for God. Ah. Or the rate of divorce because of immorality. And your friend, this Mr. Sheen that you're looking at every day, that particular guy and, 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 and your golf buddy that, that was unfaithful to his wife and all this stuff. And we laugh at them. We take it for, no, adultery fornication destroys children's lives. You've seen them. Little four or five kids here looking up beggarly without anything. And poor mama, because daddy's out there messing around, fooling around, and, and being a fornicator and adulterer. Oh, no, sir. Oh, no, sir. I went out to a street one day. There's a man out there with his, with his girlfriend in front of the church. Wife and kids in there. I went out into the car, looked, and I said, Sir, I want you out of this parking lot now. I want you gone now. Woo. He left, never came back. I don't want that snake around. Why am I preaching like this? This is not even a sermon. This is a lecture. <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah. Where was I? What was? Where am I? Yeah. Brokenness. Yeah, thank you. Brokenness. Yeah. Um. You know, when God breaks you, you're dead. When God breaks you, you're a dead man walking. What makes us sometimes... You know, sissy-eyed preachers is that we're afraid to die. That's why God will kill you first, almost kill you, so you're dead. You'll be like our friend Esther, if I perish, what? I perish. So don't be afraid to die. Hey, God will make you die first, and then you'll lose that. So learn to preach with compassion. Number seven Preach with your whole being. Preach with your whole being. If you're going to be, be passionate, use everything at your disposal. You know, Mr. Baxter again says, A sermon full of mere words, how neatly soever it be composed. While it wants the light of evidence and the life of zeal, is but an image or a well-dressed carcass. Listen, use Use your entire body in preaching. Gentlemen, it may help us. The purpose for this thing called the holy desk. The holy desk. It's not a holy desk. It's a piece of wood. Its primary purpose is to put your Bible down on it. And if you have any notes, you put your notes in it. You know why? To free you up. To free you up. With these kinds of little things that we use now, you don't even need these things anymore. To free you up to, to use the entire being. Some of you outside of class, out there in the, in, the, in, the, in the courtyard, you are like into it. You are like into it. Moving your hands and preaching and talking and weeping. Then we put you in the pulpit and then everything dies. Open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 4. <laughs> to hear God's word for us today. And for the next 40 minutes, you hold this posture. <laughs> Never even move. You're a carcass in the pulpit.
Talk to me now. Talk to me. Come on, carcasses. Talk to me now. Talk to me now. Listen, listen. Use your whole body. Use your whole body. Your, your whole body should be involved in the preaching exercise. That's what it means to be zeal. You know, passion in your body, passion in your eyes. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please never read your sermons. Don't read your sermons. Let them come from your heart. There's some few things you need to read, uh, little notes, quotations, but passion is in the eyes. Look at people in the eyes. Grab them in the eyes. Do that. You read your sermons, you're, you're lost. You've, you've lost everything. You're looking down. What, what passion is that? That what you proposed to your wife? You said, no, dear Fabi, <laughs> I love you with all my heart. Ever since I first laid eyes on you. Yeah, these eyes, these eyes. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Use your arms. It's three, two, two, one. You, there, go. See, that's what it's about. Listen, it's better to err on the side of being too expressive than being a dead man in the pulpit. And listen, if the pulpit dies, the pew dies. Yeah. And then number eight, preach with imagination. Make your preaching colorful, imaginative, stirring. Listen, you need to preach the way the Bible preachers preached. They didn't preach in black and white. They preached in HD color. They did. It's, it's just moving. They great imagination when they preached. They had ways of saying things. They would, we need to learn to imitate the same thing, people. I don't know where in the world we learned our preaching because that's, we didn't learn it from them. They are so imaginative. I mean, think of, think of John the Baptist and how he addressed the crowds. Dearly beloved religious leaders from Jerusalem and Judea, <laughs> delighted you came. We expect there to be some transformation in your lives. Otherwise, it's going to be an impending judgment upon you. <laughs> you may not be dismissed. <laughs> talk. Is, that, is that what he said? You generation of snakes, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Do you get the pictures now? Says John the... Oh. And then our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. Every single verse is a picture. Every single, I mean, you talk about, he talks about cities and lights and candles. He talks about, he talks about logs and specks. Does he not? I mean, he talks all these days. He talks about doors. He talks about wolves. Everything is pictures. Our Lord Jesus Christ preached in color. And this is what we need to do ourselves, people. And some of us have stopped doing that. We preach black and white. Nobody watches black and white anymore. Unless you're like over 80, but you don't watch. No. You know, I have, I have, I have all of John Bunyan. I have all of John Owen, and I have much of John Bunyan. Two of my favorite Puritan preachers. 
When I can't sleep, like at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, when I get insomnia, I get up and I read John Owen. And I'm asleep like in 10 minutes. <laughs> now, John is my favorite theologian, but his sentence like go for three pages. No pictures, no nothing, just raw, raw meat. And so I come there and like in 10 minutes. <laughs> now, if I pick up John, John Bunyan at 3 in the morning, I'm going to be awake for two weeks. <laughs> I mean, the sermon on hell is sighs from hell. That's, that's a sermon title. The groans of a lost soul. Just the title wakes you up. You know what I'm saying? See, and John, and, and John, Bunyan, John Owen said of John Bunyan when he heard him preach, he said, I would give everything, all my learning, to preach like that tinker preaches. But John Owen said, listen, people, preach with imagination. Use power words. Use figures of speech. Just copy the, copy the preachers here. Copy the people in the Bible. Use what they do. Use illustrations. Oh, no, Montoya. Oh, no. I never use illustrations. No, no. I want my sermons to be as boring as possible. That's what I want. I want to kill my people. And you know what you do? If you don't use illustrations, you're not a preacher. You're nothing. Oh, we, we should not illustrate. Who told you that? Look at Jesus. Well, we, we, can't, we shouldn't preach like Jesus, but then don't use it for anything else either. Don't use it for any other illustration of leadership or discipleship or anything. He is the model in preaching. Use illustrations. Use stories. Oh, no, Montoya. Stories? We can't tell stories in the pulpit. Jesus did. He told a story about a lost sheep. Told a story about a lost coin. Told a story about a lost what? Son. Tell stories. Tell stories. When my audience, when I lose my audience, and they start going like this, and little kids start tearing hymnals. <laughs> I'll just say, you know, I recall when I was 12 years old, and I, and I was in the, it was, and I was in the, in the, in the sixth grade, and I can recall when I say that, everybody looks up. Even the kids do the old peekaboo. Yes or no? The Bible is the greatest story ever told. It is a story. You're, all you're doing is retelling it. Retelling the greatest story ever told in today's... Listen, use imagination. You use direct address and practice. Practice. You know, gentlemen, gentlemen, in the Orient, when a man wants to make a statement... In the Orient, India, China, Oriental people, when they want to make a statement and be heard, they take a gallon of gasoline and pour it on themselves. And then they light a match. And they're consumed in this Holocaust. Because they want to make a message, want to make a statement. I'm saying to you today, take the oil of God's Word. And pour it on yourself. 
and then ignite yourself and go out and make a statement for Jesus Christ now and forever. Amen or not? Amen. Let's go do it, gentlemen. You've reached the end of this audio presentation. For more audio or for more information on the Shepherds Conference, please visit shepherdsconference.org.